as our worship team finds their seat, I would invite you to turn to a familiar Christmas passage, Isaiah chapter 9. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and let's start this sermon off with this passage. Of course, this is written from the perspective of Israel having come from times of judgment to looking forward to the time when their Redeemer comes. I would encourage you when we look at Israel in the Old Testament that you see not Israel, but you see yourself. Israel's journey, their entire life's journey from conception through judgment to redemption, their life journey is really very symbolic of our personal life journeys in coming to Christ. And so, for instance, I'm, I'm right now in my devotions, I'm in reading through Judges, and when I see, when I, when I shake my head and see them failing, I don't say, oh Israel, I say, oh, look, what? I do the same thing. And then when I see God come through and redeem them and graciously afflict them to bring them back, I'm reminded that God is doing the same thing with me. So as, as we look here in Isaiah chapter 9 and see Israel, we, re, we do see ourselves says, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So we see a a transition from gloom and anguish and darkness to light and joy and liberation. And we look around in our world, we see the darkness, don't we? We see the gloom, we see the anguish, and that anguish and that darkness and that gloom presses in on us, but we are children of light. We are children of joy. We have been liberated Verse 3 says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide spoil. Spoil being the the victory over over a foreign nation and the reward from that victory. Verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So here we see the symbolism of a burden, an oppressor, Midian, foreign agents coming in and attacking Israel. Midian were, the Midianites were those whom Gideon conquered. And in this we see a picture of our sin. And yet we see, verse 5, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The battle that we face now with our Midian, our sin within us and around us, it's not an eternal battle. There's going to come a time when those instruments of war will be burned for fuel because the battle will be complete. It'll be done. We'll have no need to battle anymore because our great warrior will conquer for us. And... What's going to bring all this about? This transition from gloom and anguish and darkness to light and joy and liberation. The conquering of the oppressor and the burden and the Midian. The battle being completed. What brings this about? Verse 6. 
For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. It just shows how how supremely desperate and needy we are that it is a child that comes and rescues us. The Messiah child. And notice it goes on to say the government shall be upon His shoulder and He's going to bear the weight of the government and His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace there shall be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's not a maybe. It's actually going to happen and God is excited about accomplishing it. But notice what comes first. It's not the, uh, the magnificent wise judge. It's not the mighty ruler. It's not the conquering conqueror. What comes first is the child. A child is born. To, to us, a son is given. To you. To me. This, we celebrate every Christmas season this coming of the child and He came to us. He comes to us this year again and again just as He did 2,000 years ago. And it's not just the adult Jesus we lean on. It's the baby Jesus too. Some of the lessons that we learn from Jesus are easier learned, <clears throat> excuse me, are easier learned while being taught from the infant Jesus. Lessons like what we saw last week about innocence extended. We know that Jesus, throughout the course of His life, did not lose not even one scotch of His innocence, but it's easier, easier for us to see the innocence when we look at the infant, Jesus. And we see that innocence is extended to us through the Gospel. The lesson we're going to learn today is dependence demonstrated. Jesus choosing to come as an infant demonstrates to us the virtue of dependence. Have you ever thought of how vulnerable Christ made Himself by becoming a baby? We have only to look at the animal kingdom to see just how dependent a human baby is by comparison. I've got five examples here. The first one is a baby fawn. Look at that. Isn't that cute? A little baby fawn. You, you hunters should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> but I'm still open to venison if you have any. <laughs> Look at that precious little baby fawn. Just to show how, how capable this is. In ten minutes, a baby fawn is already standing. And in seven hours, a baby fawn can walk. How long does it take a human to learn how to walk? About a year? Human babies are so dependent. Here's another cutie, the giraffe. Look at that. Now this giraffe has it even harder than the, uh, than the fawn. A giraffe starts his life by dropping six feet onto the ground. <laughs> and then they get right up. And within minutes, they're walking. Within, within an hour, they're walking. And, uh, but, you know, they're very durable. A human baby, not durable at all, right? When you hold a baby, men, what's the, what's, what's the last bit of advice any woman ever tells you when you hold a baby? Hold its head. Hold its head. Like it's going to fall off. It's going to roll right off the shoulders. You know, a giraffe, not dependent. Human baby, very dependent. Look at the harp seal. That's a seal pup. 
Look at it. Look real close. Zoom in on that. Look at that. Oh. Now, the, the seal is taken care of. Uh, his mother takes care of him very well, but only for 12 days. For 12 days, and then this poor little baby seal is left floating on an ice cube by itself for eight weeks alone. It loses like half its body weight. During those eight weeks, it's got to figure out on its own how to swim and how to hunt. Now, how long does it take a human to figure out how to feed itself? 18 years, something like that, right? Before they finally figure out how to get a job and feed themselves. I got two more examples here. This is the Malio. It's a bird. Now, don't worry, it's not decapitated. This bird, the mothers are so negligent, they actually bury the egg in soil next to a volcano, and it incubates the egg, so then the mother leaves, never sees the child. Not only does the bird have to peck its way out of the shell, it has to dig its way out of the ground, too, and then instantly it can fly. Uh, humans, are they that capable? Hardly. Hardly, right? I, I've, uh, there's been, since I've been married, I've lived with my parents, well, my parents once and Rachel's parents once. Uh, we are very needy, very dependent. One last example, the sand tiger shark. Mm. Now, this is a picture of the sand tiger shark before a sand tiger is born. If it's a male, it's going to be inside its mama's belly with a lot of other males. And get this, inside the mother's womb, there's a cannibalistic battle for primacy in utero until only one survives. Literally, the, most, the strongest tiger will eat all the other tigers in the uterus, and then that's the one that is born. A baby... A human baby, not going to do that. A human baby is so fragile, so weak, so desperate, so needy. And by coming as a baby, Jesus demonstrated to us dependence. There's nothing more dependent than an infant baby. And it was something that Jesus never grew out of. You'll recall in John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus said this, Jesus said, by myself, I can do nothing. The dependence he chose to descend into in his infancy, he hung on to that dependence for the rest of his life. He said, by myself, I can do nothing. He was completely dependent on his Father through the Holy Spirit. It makes a little more sense why later on in that same book he told us, Without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus was demonstrating dependence. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7, six and seven it says, Though He was equal with God, He did not consider equality a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself. He chose to make Himself vulnerable so He can demonstrate to us the dependence that we need to exercise upon our God. Too often we're not even convinced that we are dependent, but we are. In fact, dependence is critical in the Christian walk. Dependence is absolutely critical 
in the Christian walk. And Jesus knew that, therefore, He foundationally laid this example down for us to receive. And let me, let me take a few minutes here to build an argument of why dependence is so critical in your walk with Christ. Dependence is critical, one, because it's commanded. It's commanded. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of His servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust, what is he supposed to do? Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on His God. Rely. That's a great word. It's saying that you are commanded by God through Scripture to be dependent on Him. We're to be dependent in our thinking. Of course, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. So we have understanding, but we're not to be dependent on our understanding. We're to be dependent on God's understanding. Uh, we are to be dependent in our fears. Psalm 56, 3 says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. I was made to learn that verse as a child. Parents, that's a great verse to teach your children. Again, that's Psalm 56.3. Short enough that a child can remember it. Powerful enough that it'll stick with you for the rest of your life. And we're, we're going through some fearful times. We're, it seems like fear is, a, is growing and growing in our culture, almost being revered as a virtue. If you're fearful enough, then we'll respect you. What times I am afraid... I will trust in God. He's got a plan. He has a way. His ways are higher than my ways. But my dependence is commanded and not only in my thinking, but also in my fears, my dependence on God. Uh, I, I need to be dependent in my planning. Psalm 37.5, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Commit your way to the Lord. So whatever plans we have, whatever aspirations we have, whatever goals we set, we need to recognize that we commit that to the Lord. We are dependent on Him in our thinking, in our fears, in our planning, in our prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and many others, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what a good word to describe, should be a good word to describe your prayer life? Desperate. If you're not desperate in your prayers, you're not praying well enough. Do you ever experience those days, and there seem to be more and more for me, where I can't even get out of bed without some solid time of prayer? You should try that. You should just try, you know, like, oh Lord, I'm not even going to sit up until I spend some time praying for you because I know how much I depend on you Today, Otherwise, we get in the motion, we start moving and we start doing and we start executing our schedule. And before you know it, we've gone through a whole day and we haven't even thought about Jesus. We need to be dependent in our prayers. Uh, not the last thing, but the last thing I'll mention in our sermon today, we need to be dependent in our very salvation, of course. Innumerable number of passages in the New Testament that demonstrates that we are obedient in our dependence primarily because we are dependent on Him for our very salvation. Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Is He, is, is he being ambiguous there? It's pretty clear, isn't it? It's the Spirit that gives life. 
capital S. The Holy Spirit gives life. Your flesh is no help whatsoever. This is why I said no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Jesus is saying you cannot do it. No matter how hard you try, if you're going to have spiritual life, you must be dependent on it coming from the Father. So we're dependent because it's commanded. Dependence is critical in our Christian walk. But also note, I would say, that this dependence on God in our walk with Christ, it's also comforting. There's a comfort that comes from being truly, vulnerably dependent on God. Psalm 73, 25, and 26 whom have you know? Maybe you want to turn there. I could read it off the screen. It'll be on the screen, but maybe you should turn there. Uh, Psalm seventy-three. It's worth looking at. Psalm seventy-three, verse twenty-five and twenty-six. Whom have I in heaven but you? You can just you can just hear the desperation in the psalmist's voice, can't you? I mean, this is coming from someone who has suffered real betrayal betrayals in his life. Maybe you've gotten to that point where you say, "Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever for behold those who are far from you shall perish but you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you but for me it is good to be near god i've made the lord god my refuge that i may tell all your works there's a comfort in being completely dependent on god Uh, much will fail us in life many of you have perhaps experienced that Your spouse may fail you. Your parents may fail you. Your government will fail you. Your health will fail you. Your church may fail you. But God will not fail you. And the more you're dependent on Him, the less the betrayals will be devastating. When you depend on all these other things, the damage is a lot more severe when they fail you. But when you depend on God... He will not fail you. And the damage when others fail you won't be as severe. He says, you're the strength of my heart. The footnote there says he is the rock of my heart. That's a heart that won't be wounded. A heart that won't be moved. A heart that won't be drawn away. He says, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forevermore. Portion. You know, there's an infamous event in my family history when I was a kid. One Christmas morning, we get done unwrapping all the presents, and I uttered these words. I said, is that all? Now, there's dispute exactly what tone was used when I said that. If you ask my dad after the service here, he'll say that I said, is that all? And I was being, I think, I was being courteous and I didn't want to miss anyone's presence if they had given me a present that I didn't see. And I said, oh, is this, is this all? You know? Uh, 
suffice it to say, there were a lot of tears shed that Christmas morning by me. I was punished on Christmas morning and made to feel bad. But uh, it all stemmed from the reality that I was expecting more of a portion than what I got. And this psalm says, when we are completely dependent on God, He, he Himself is our portion. So if my hand is out only to God... I'm not going to be disappointed. If my hand is out to all other sources that the world has available to supposedly fill us up, I will be disappointed. Even if I succeed 100% in getting everything that they have to offer, it's still not going to satisfy. But when my hand is open only to God, He promises, I'll be your full portion. I'll be everything that you need and you won't be dissatisfied. There's a comfort in having that kind of um, dependence on God. Also, when we think about our dependence on God, it's not just a command, it's not comforting. Actually, it's qualifying as well. It's one of the qualifications to be a child of God is we have to be dependent upon Him. Uh, In the Christian walk, the commitment of dependence is critical. Uh, what's the verse there? Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. Jesus said, remember that the context in this verse was Jesus was spending all his time with who? With the prostitutes, with the drunkards, with the tax collectors, with the socially unacceptable people, not the high ranking Pharisees. And they were upset about it. And when they finally had the guts to confront Jesus, what did he say? He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is saying, If you don't have a need, then you don't need me. But it's the needy that I come to. It's the needy that I meet. And so when we are dependent, when we're needy, then that just qualifies us to be children of God. One last note on this dependence and why it's so critical in our Christian walk. It's also empowering. It's empowering. That sounds counterintuitive, but it is empowering to be dependent upon God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. This is Paul's testimony. For the sake of Christ then, I am content. What what a great word first of all. Every one of these words are powerful, but first of all he says I am content. That doesn't mean I'll endure it if I have to. He's content. Such a peaceful word. I'm I'm okay with this. I'm 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 <clears throat> I'm content with this. And here's the list. I'm content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. Okay, so weakness. Anyone here weak? Anyone here want to have strengths that you don't have? Anyone here ever been insulted before? Paul says, that's good. I'm, I'm good with insults. In fact, even hardships are okay with me. I know there's people that are enduring hardships. Persecutions? I'm content with persecutions. Probably not a lot of us. Some have suffered persecution. But then what, what an amazing word, Calamities. If I, when I have calamity in my life, Paul says, that I'm, I'm in a position of contentment. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew where the true strength was sourced. It was only accessed through personal weakness. And this brings us to the following inescapable truism. 
Because we all, we all want to be dependent. I, I, I think we want to be dependent on God. We want more dependent. We want to be obedient. We want to be empowered. We want that comfort that comes from being dependent on God. But here's the truism. There is no dependency without deficiency. There is no dependency without deficiency. Prerequisite to being dependent is having a need. Need is born out of deficiency. Therefore, deficiency breeds dependency. We try to avoid deficiency at all costs, don't we? And yet Jesus, He, didn't, he just wasn't exposed to deficiency. He chose deficiency to demonstrate to us how to be dependent on God. Do we see deficiency in Christ's life? Absolutely we do. We see in just in, so much in His birth. He was born... Uh, without a father. They knew that Joseph wasn't his father. He was born without a father in a culture where that was esteemed above all else. You can get away without having a father here in America. In Israel, that was super critical. He didn't have one. This was something that actually plagued his life even into his ministry. There was a time where he was trying to address the Pharisees and when, they, when he had the Pharisees kind of cornered and they couldn't respond, you remember what they said? They go, who's your father? And then he said, well, and he had to respond, well, your, your father is Satan. My father is God. Like, no, no, we don't even know who your father is. So they tracked it. They knew. Uh, was Christ deficient? He, uh, he was born in a stable, not in a palace. Remember where the, wise, where the wise men went when they traveled? Probably a year later, when they went to find Jesus, where's the first place they went to look? The palace. He wasn't there. He had been born in a stable, lived in a modest home. As a result of not being born in the palace, he had to flee to Egypt to hide. As a toddler, there was no place of protection for him. And when his life was threatened, they had to leave, go all the way to Egypt. That'd be like a future president of the United States. No, he's destined to be president. Has to go down to Central America and hide out in poverty until he's grown. That's what happened to Jesus. He was vulnerable. He was deficient. Revelation chapter 12 gives the picture of the great dragon that is looming over the woman as she gives birth and then she has to flee to the desert. That's the picture of Satan anxious to destroy Christ at His birth. He chose, he demonstrated his, his deficiency by choosing a body that was average in appearance, susceptible to hunger, to harm, and ultimately to death. Did Christ experience deficiency? Yes, He did. And though deficiency is one of the critical ingredients in us being dependent on God, it's not the only ingredient. So I want to work through a couple equations here. And I want us to consider what our options are when we are faced with deficiency. So that means when the calamity strikes, when the betrayal occurs, when our bodies are no longer reliable, how do we respond to that? Well, we could respond with industry. Meaning, by industry I mean effort. Let's work through this. Let's try harder. I'm going to arrange my life in such a way I'm going to put in more hours. I'm going to get less sleep. I'm going to do whatever it requires to make up for the deficit that I'm experiencing. And deficiency plus industry it could equal a few things. It could equal competency. Maybe you'll get through it. But where's Jesus in that? Where's the glory for Jesus there? 
Really another way to say competency might be self-sufficiency. Deficiency plus industry equals self-sufficiency. Again, that makes it even more clear. Where is Jesus if I am entirely self-sufficient? That takes us back to when he said, I'm here for the sick, not for the well. Now, just a, a warning here. Ultimately, deficiency plus industry equals catastrophe. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5. If we can read that passage together. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Ultimately, if you're completely dependent on yourself and you somehow manage to overcome all your deficiencies, you may be competent, you may be self-sufficient, but it will turn to catastrophe because you will be cursed by God if you choose not to be dependent on Him. I just want to give a little kind of caveat to this or just a warning about this. We all probably are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 where it talks about God choosing the weak things in the world to overcome the powerful things. And he says there are not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble that come to Christ. But it says there's not many. It doesn't say there's not any. There's nothing wrong with being competent. There's nothing wrong. Some people God blesses and they don't have a lot of physical needs. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being able um, as we can be able and still completely dependent on God. Um, there was an English noble woman who was a friend of George uh, Whitfield's, and she would, would say, I'm going to heaven by an M, because in that verse it says there are not many rich, there are not many noble, there are not many wise. It does not say there are not any noble. So there are wise, rich, noble people that will be in heaven, and perhaps that describes you. Perhaps... Uh, you are a competent person. But remember, God puts us oftentimes in positions of deficiency to remind us, to teach us what we're truly relying on. And we can't judge what other people are relying on. I'll let, they'll stand before their own master and they can judge. I, I have enough time worrying about myself. So I don't judge anybody else. But I know that when I face, face deficiency, it's a reminder to me I need to be dependent on God. And when I, things seem to be going well, I've learned that lesson. And, I, and I rem, I'm reminded of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What that means is no matter what's going on physically around us, perpetually we need to be Reminded that we are spiritually deficient. We are completely reliant on God. And so, when we're deficient, we're reminded of our dependence upon God. Here's one other response you might have to deficiency. Deficiency plus apathy. Maybe you meet some hardship and you're a giver-upper. You're just like, well, this is my lot in life. Maybe you've tried to overcome it time and time again and you never have, so now you're done trying. This is what God wants in my life? All right, fine. This is it. But deficiency plus apathy equals despondency. It'll tear away at your soul. You'll be depressed. You'll be unfulfilled. 
because you're not learning the lesson you're supposed to learn from your deficiency. God isn't putting you in positions of deficiency just to hold you under His thumb. He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to come and lean on Him and be empowered by Him. So, when we're faced with deficiency, we try usually in our flesh we try to avoid it at all costs, but when we're there, we need not, need not respond by just trying to be overcoming it. We need not dis, uh, respond with apathy. That will just lead to despondency. Here's the key ingredients, and we see them in Christ's life. Deficiency plus humility equals dependency. Deficiency plus humility equals dependency. So when we find ourselves looking at baby Jesus and seeing such a fragile human being. Imagine the God of the universe placing Himself in a womb for nine months. Not such a safe place even in today's culture, is it? Yet for nine months, He was in this place, this state of complete dependency so that we might look at that and learn from it, humble ourselves and be dependent as well. To choose to embrace deficiency like Jesus did and to pair it with humility that He might produce within Himself and set forth such an example for us to follow, that example of complete dependence. To choose that path is to choose a path of fulfillment. It is to choose a path perfectly blazed by the infant Jesus.